Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much, man. That's such a beautiful, beautiful time of worship together. Uh, my name is Jeremy. If we haven't met, if you're newer to Christ Church, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, today we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. If you've been with us, you know that we're working our way through the book of Acts. And we are in chapter 19 today. <clears throat> now, just by a quick show of hands, how many of you guys grew up in the church? Like me, I grew up in the church. Lots of people grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't. That's okay. But I wanted to just kind of reminisce for a minute. Um, kids ministry. There's not much I remember about the kids ministry days, but I do remember a few things. I remember puppets. Puppets, man, that was where it was at, right? Bring back the puppets. That's where we missed it. That's where the train derailed. We've got to get back the puppets, okay? And then there was also a few songs. You guys remember the song um, Father Abraham? Father Abraham, you do like all the motion stuff, right? Yeah, there's a few of us. And then there was this other like classic song that was stamped into my mind as a young person, and it was the song Deep and Wide. Yes, Amy's doing the motions. We got the deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain. Oh, wait, that's a different. Amy, you said fountain like this. No, this is, it's this. Okay, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. We gotta make sure we get our, our choreography right, right? And then, you know, as the song would go on, you'd be like, hmm, and wide. And you just kind of put it, so the hoops in for the words, and it was like, hmm, and hmm, and hmm, 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 and you just get goofier and goofier as the song goes on. Well, all of that to say, that's the title of today's message, Deep and Wide. Um, we're in a sub-series, kind of the home stretch of the book of Acts, um, and we're in chapter 19 today. You can turn over there. And uh, kind of the final sub-series of the book of Acts is this unstoppable mission always perseveres, and we see that the kingdom of God continuing to prevail and to, to win and to be victorious in every possible realm and every possible scenario. So over in Acts chapter 19, jump over to verse 20 quickly, and we're, this is the last, uh, verse 20 is the, where we're going to end our, our text today, but I want to just point this out because this is why Luke is really writing this passage. Uh, Acts 19.20 says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That's why this passage is being written. Because the kingdom of God, the word of the Lord, the gospel is prevailing. It's, it, there's no stopping it. It's unstoppable. It's continuing to expand. And the church is still carrying that same mission and that same power today as it was 2,000 years ago when this was written. The, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Um, so as we talk through this passage today, and before we kind of run out, I should, I should forewarn you, today we're going to be talking about prophecy, speaking in tongues, hostile debates, miracles, demon possession, witchcraft, and magic arts, and then a really, really expensive bonfire. So just buckle up, okay? We've got a lot of ground to cover, and by God's grace, we're going to answer every single question that you have about every one of those areas. No, you know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot in this passage. And uh, 1 through 20, and the way that this is framed, Luke, the, the author of the book of Acts, it's kind of like he's giving scenes, like, hey, the, the kingdom of God is prevailing, the gospel is expanding, here's, here's something that happened over here, and then there's this other story, and this happened over here, and then there's this other story, and this happened over here, and what we see is an unstoppable kingdom on the move. So we're going to kind of look at a few different scenes. And uh, these passages, and as we talk about this, these scenes, these stories, they will no doubt invoke more questions. In fact, we'll probably raise more questions than answers in this message, and that's okay. That's part of following Jesus. It's, or we can't cover it all on a Sunday, but um, we, our hope is, is that this opens up an ongoing conversation as we continue just to grow in our understanding of who God is 
and, and his word. So it's in the book of Acts. This is in the Bible. We can't avoid it. We gotta, we gotta just go right at it. And we're gonna do that today, okay? So we'll look at kind of a key phrase in each one of these scenes that Luke describes. Um, but before we run at this passage, let's take a moment and just pray together to prepare our hearts, okay? Father, um, I, we love your word. And, and uh, this passage today is, is challenging uh, it really challenges us. It, it puts things in tension for us to wrestle through and to, to seek to understand and to grow. And so, Father, I pray that that is exactly what it does. Your word is challenging. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And uh, would we just approach this today with great humility and help us to grow in our understanding, God, for, for sure what we know and understand today of you is not the whole. Uh, there's so much more. Help us to see more broadly in a greater way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, here's the big idea, kind of how we're gonna, you're gonna frame this so this will make sense as we work our way through these scenes and through this passage. It's this, true faith in Jesus is robust. <clears throat> true faith in Jesus is robust. You're like, what do, you, what do you mean by robust? Well, if you don't know what the, that word means, it means sturdy, it means durable. It means it holds up, it withstands, right? It's unbreakable, it's well-rounded, it's healthy, and it produces good results or good fruit. A, a true faith in Jesus is robust. Now, on a certain occasion over in Matthew chapter 22, um, a certain person came to Jesus and said this, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, you shall, this is, this is so important, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your, what, with your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's a mouthful right there, but what I want you to really pay attention to is Jesus said this, like if there's one thing that's the top, the most important, is that you love God, not just that you love God, but you love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, okay? Loving God, relationship with God, discipleship, following Jesus is not one-dimensional, it's multi-dimensional. There's multiple different aspects of our faith that need to be developed, that need to grow in order for us to have a strong and robust faith. Picture it kind of like a three-legged stool. I couldn't find a three-legged stool. Every stool we have in the church is a four-legged stool, and it would break down, so we need to just visualize a three-legged stool, right? Three-legged stool, you gotta have three legs in order for it to stand. If you take one of them away, it won't stand. It can't stand on one leg, it can't stand on two legs, it needs three legs to stand. And our faith is similar to that. And as we work our way through these scenes that Luke describes, we'll begin to see different aspects of, of discipleship, of what it means to follow Jesus. And as we, we grow in each one of these areas, our faith becomes more robust, it becomes more healthy and well-rounded. Okay, so let's pick it up right here. Chapter 19, verse one. <clears throat> and it happened that while Paul, excuse me, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Okay, so if you remember from last week, um, Apollos was, was a guy who Paul, they, they kind of met, they built a relationship. Um, you see a partnership in ministry in the, in the future. You see the introduction of Aquila and Priscilla. And Apollos is a pretty sharp guy. He's, he's able to debate. He's really strong intellectually, academically, and he can debate in a great way, and he, and he persuades and convinces people to believe. So much so that you see later on in, in the Corinthians, the letters to the Corinthians, Paul says, hey, you guys got it all wrong. Like some of you are saying, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos. But 
but were any of you, uh, did anybody die for you other than Jesus? He said things like, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. This is the, the beginnings of their relationship. So Apollos goes his way, Paul heads to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was quite the place. Ephesus was one of the biggest cities in the ancient world. Um, it was the center of a, a lot of commerce. There was a lot of money. And it was also a very uh, deeply spiritually rooted city uh, where people would pra- practice things like magic arts and witchcraft. So there's a lot going on. And Paul's like, that's where I'm going. In classic Paul fashion, he goes right at it. Ephesus um, is known for the temple of Artemis or the Greek goddess Diana. This temple is huge. It's four times the size of the Parthenon in in Greece. It's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It's, this is where Paul is. He's going right at this thing, right into the heat of the battle. What happens in Ephesus? Look here as we continue uh, verse one. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. He said, then into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to to believe in the one who was to come, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So this is the first scene, okay? This is kind of like, as the kingdom is expanding, this happened, Luke tells the story. Now this this text here is, uh, it's really important that we, we don't avoid things in this, okay? It's easy to try to explain away the miraculous work of God's Holy Spirit. It's easy to try to kind of put that into a box and try to be like, well, this is kind of how that works, or it's not really real. It's easy to, in a sense, quench the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, a lot of people come from a lot of different backgrounds. I, I get that. I don't, I don't know what your, your upbringing was in the church. Um, I know kind of the theology that I've grown up in, and, and I realize that there's people in the room today that might be like, I read this passage a certain way and others might read it another way. It's important to understand at Christ Church what we believe about the Holy Spirit and being baptized into the Holy Spirit is that that happens at salvation. That when you're baptized, you, you're baptized into Jesus, into the Holy Spirit at the same time. And now there's an outworking of that for sure, but there's not a separate experience, or not a separate baptism, but there's for sure things that happen subsequently after salvation. That's where Christ church lands. We realize that that's a, um, that's a, that's a, can be a hot topic. And maybe for you, you're like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Well, here's what we would, we would say. Um, if that's a conversation point, if that's like a sticking point, we certainly want to engage in that lovingly. Like as we work through this, we're, we want to be faithful to God's word. We want to be faithful to the spirit. And so if there's a further conversation to be had about that, please do. We'd love to, to talk more about that. So in this scene now, you see he lays hands on them. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They begin prophesying and speaking in tongues. Like this is supernatural. This is not explained naturally. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, I just want to kind of remind us back of what Peter said in Acts 2.39. He said this, For the promise is for you and for your children, speaking of the Holy Spirit, all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. You see, if you've received Jesus, the Holy Spirit is absolutely for you. 
Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be your guide. He would be uh, your, your helper, your advocate, that he would convict the world of sin and righteousness, that he would lead us into all truth. It is crucial for us as believers in our faith that we understand who the Holy Spirit is and, and the power that he has. And that leads us to kind of our first leg, the first leg of the stool of a robust faith is this, following Jesus is experiential. And some people right away, there's some people that are like, yes, it's all about the experience of the Holy Spirit. And some people that are like, well, hold on, like, give it some time, let us work through the passage. But one major aspect of a robust faith is, is continually experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this happens at times in our lives like monumental moments. Maybe you can, if you've been serving the Lord for a while, you think back and I know for me, there was a few of those like camp experiences, weekend experiences where, man, I could like just feel God's presence and I moved towards repentance or boldly proclaiming Jesus or whatever it was. And I can point back and go, man, that was an experience I had in my life that you couldn't convince me otherwise that, that God was real. I remember that time, man, when, when I went down to that altar and I could, it was like God's presence just hit me and it was so strong having the experience, the monumental moments uh, of the Holy Spirit, that happens, um, that happens all the time, though. You see, it's not like it's a one-and-done thing, right? You know, it's like you, you experience the Holy Spirit one time, and then you're good for the rest of your life. We need a daily filling of the Spirit, and you see this in other, other places in the Bible, because truthfully, man, we get tired, we leak, we run out of energy, we need to be refilled, right? So this is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Monumental moments. This happens um, at things like camps, weekends, retreats, it, but it really should happen in, in your daily devotions too, right? It should happen on a daily basis. Feeling a fresh power of the Holy Spirit happens with, over a cup of coffee just sitting reading your Bible, in worship at church, in conversation, in community. It's all part of the picture. Now, our experiences are, are ultimately tested by the word of God. Our, our experience doesn't hold the ultimate authority but it for sure is a major component of our faith. God is not just this academic cerebral idea. He's a person, and we have a relationship with him, and we live that out on a daily basis. It's crucial in our following of Jesus that we, we experience the Holy Spirit. It's crucial to a robust faith. Now, so if true faith is in, in Jesus is robust, it kind of leads us to a couple questions. One question would be, when it comes to following Jesus being experiential, is have you had those moments? Have you had those times where unmistakably you were like, man, I have encountered the power and the spirit of God and it's changed me. It also leads us to the question of, is that all your faith is based on, right? Is that like the one leg you're standing on? Is I had that, that camp experience and I had that high, I had that weekend retreat, I had that moment in church or whatever, but that's it. Because if your faith is standing just on your experience alone, it's only a matter of time before it falls over, right? You know what I'm talking about? We need more than just experience to have a robust faith in Jesus. And that's where the passage goes. Look here in verse 8. So the scene changes from this this. Uh, move of God's spirit to, to a whole different kind of picture now in verse eight. And he entered the synagogue for three months. The synagogue was kind of the gathering temple where they would go daily for teaching and for debate and things like that. He entered the synagogue for three months and spoke boldly, reasoning 
and persuading. Highlight that, that's the key phrase there in this second part. Spoke boldly, reasoning, and persuading. Which leads us to the second leg, the second leg that we stand on in our faith, part of our robust faith is this, following Jesus is reasonable. Remember how Jesus said, love, you should love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and with what? With your mind. Loving God with your mind, it's like exercising intellectual. Here's the thing that we find out, though, is that following Jesus is, is reasonable. There's really good reason to believe. It's not just a, a blind faith that's based on some experience that you had that can be called into question. And we see, you see Paul here for months in the synagogue, and then as the passage goes on, even another couple years in a different hall, reasoning, persuading, thinking, challenging, debating. Because one of the most major aspects of our faith is our ability to think and to reason and to logic. You know, this, this is amazing though because no rock that we turn over doesn't reveal another incredible treasure. Oftentimes people are afraid to like lean in and ask the hard questions. I've even had conversations with my daughter, she's 16 now and she's kind of like, I'm a little nervous to like maybe go to college or to watch something because I'm like, what if I get really challenged in what I believe and then I end up not believing what I believe? And it's like, well, hey, that's part of a robust faith is you don't avoid the hard questions. We don't have to be afraid of the arguments and the debates. We don't have to be trying to avoid and just kind of live in a safe bubble or like an echo chamber. That actually produces a very fragile faith. You know what I'm saying? Leaves us ignorant. So Paul and Apollos, they spend a significant amount of time reasoning, proving Jesus' identity. This is, these were the arguments and the debates that, that Pastor Brian talked about last week about all the Old Testament prophecies and how that they all pointed that it's like, hey, the Messiah is gonna do this and 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 this. And, this, and Jesus, hey, guess what? Jesus did all of that. So you should believe that he's the Messiah. And they argued and they debated and look what it says there in verse nine, but some of them became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. Interesting to note that uh, what we believe is not just all about reason and facts and information, right? I mean, we're all, we all have the same facts and information we're looking at. Everybody can look at the Old Testament and go, man, these were all the prophecies about Jesus, and everybody can look at the New Testament and be like, yeah, he nailed every one of them. But why is it that some people believe and some people don't believe? What's the difference? Well, the difference is right here in verse nine. They're stubborn and continued in unbelief. You ultimately believe what you want to believe. You see, it's our bias and it's our heart that slants us away or slants us toward believing. But if you just approach something objectively, just looking at it, you couldn't arrive at the conclusion, other, any, any other conclusion than Jesus is the Messiah. He fulfilled all those things and that's what they're doing. But they get stubborn they get, they get resistant. So Paul, look at what he see, because they became stubborn and resistant, they spoke evil of the way, which was the name of the movement of Jesus' followers in that day. They called it the way. Uh, and, and he, before the congregation, so he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. Re, here is again, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Not Tyrannosaurus Rex, I know you're probably thinking Tyrannosaurus Rex or tyrant or tyranny, but actually that is the root word. We don't know much about this guy. He has a little bit of an unfortunate name. 
rooted in the word tyranny. <laughs> but he, we don't know if maybe he was the owner of this hall or he was the professor that taught there. But what we do know is we know that Paul ends up in this place where he's teaching in the hall of Tyrannus. It's away from the synagogue, and he's doing this for two years. Uh, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, to understand a little more of the context, <clears throat> um, this hall, this was a hall of a, this guy named Tyrannus, and what the Greeks would do in Greek culture is they would get up early and right about sunrise, they would begin their work. And in the cool of the morning from, say, 7 a.m. till about 11 a.m., before the sun gets too high, before you get in the heat of the day, they would work the first half of the day. And then at about 11 o'clock until 4 p.m., they would shut it down because it's siesta time, right? It's hot. We're not going to work in the heat of the day. And then by about 5 p.m., they would resume their activities. They'd resume their work, um, just avoiding the heat, the heat of the day. Paul looks at that and goes, there's my opportunity. So Paul is working and debating and teaching when others are kind of out sleeping. And he's doing it in the heat of the day. So you can imagine Paul's probably got like his, his sweat rag and he's doing this, you know, man. It's hot, man. He's in, the, he's in the Middle East and it's the heat and it's two, three in the afternoon. He's sweating, burning his eyes, rubbing his sweat off and he's got these kind of sweat-soaked rags, right? Kind of gross, <clears throat> This will make more sense in just a minute as you see where the story goes. But he's reasoning, he's, he's challenging, he's persuading through solid logic and just facts and going, hey, look, bing, 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 believe Jesus is the Messiah. You know, there's so much evidence surrounding who Jesus is and even the validity of scripture and whatever avenue you looked on. I mean, if it's history, don't, don't be afraid of the historical conversations about Jesus. If it's science, don't be afraid of the scientific conversations about God and creation. It's like there's evidence everywhere, everywhere. You know, the other, the other day, so we, um, my son just graduated high school. He's, he's up at college up in Michigan Tech. So He's probably started winter and won't end until June, from what we understand, in Houghton, Michigan, in the great north. And uh, my daughter's here, and so she just got her driver's license. She's 16 now, and uh, we have three cars, but one of the cars broke down, and one of the cars is in the shop. So we're down to two cars, and now she's been enjoying her freedom. I really wanted her to be there this morning, like in the front, so I could make fun of her, Wyndham, because you guys, this would have been way better if you guys were together. And uh, she... The cars broke down, and I'm like, hey, so I messaged her, and I'm like, hey, car's in the shop. I'm going to have to use the Honda, and I'll bring, I'll bring you to school uh, tomorrow. And the, the response was immediate. It was swift, right? Dad, no, Dad. You know how 16-year-old girls talk, right? Dad, but Dad. And, and I'm just messing. That's not how 16. Well, sort of. <laughs> Anyways. She responds back right away and she's like, you, but you don't understand, Dad. I have 1,500 million things to do today and I need the car. And, and we've had kind of a little bit of an ongoing joke. And I'm like, really, 1,500 million? Like, we say that's the largest number known to man, 1,500 million, you know? So it's kind of like our little joke now. But, you know, these, these, when we talk about these things, whether it's theology or it's science or it's history, it really does, it brings up like 1,500 million rabbits we could chase. You guys got time? Should we just chase every single one of them today? Can we, can we just solve every argument today, right? No. There's way too many. This, this really should spawn more conversation. 
but we're not afraid of the conversation. Look, look at Paul here. I mean, for two months, he's in the synagogue. I mean, excuse me, for three months, he's in the synagogue. And then for two years, he's in this hall of Tyrannus, reasoning daily, day after day after day. He's engaged the conversation, and he's willing to stay in it for a long time. And so should we. So should we. Leads us to this, this challenge, you know, is, is our faith based just in, in reason? Is our faith just cerebral? Is it like, man, we can answer all the questions and we know all the, the arguments and we can kind of defeat anybody in a debate, but really it's like it's all here and it's not here. Because you need both the experience of the Spirit touching you in your innermost being in your heart, transforming you from the inside out, and then you need loving Jesus with your mind and the reason to have a robust faith. I would challenge us all when it comes to following Jesus, loving God with our minds, and following Jesus is reasonable not to be ignorant. Don't, don't run from the, the debates and the conversations. Run right at them. I mean, if, if we're right, if it's true, what do we have to be afraid of, right? Ignorance or fear or just living in, in a bubble-wrapped echo chamber produces a very fragile faith. I've seen it many, many times in, in student ministry where you know, they'll have an experience and then get to college and have it just completely defeated because they haven't grown in this aspect of their faith. Okay, so following Jesus is experiential. Following Jesus is reasonable. Let's move on here in verse 11. Now it gets even crazier, right? We see the, the Holy Spirit coming and prophecy and speaking in tongues. We see this really hostile debate that goes on for years. And then in verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles, highlight that, ex extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Let's pause right there. Who's, who's doing the miracles? God's doing the miracles. How is he doing them? He's doing them by the hands of Paul. That's the way God's always worked. He, he displays his power through human beings. It's God's power. It's his kingdom. It's his miracles, but he's doing it through the hands of Paul. Verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Now, remember I was talking about the, the, the sweat rags earlier? Like, heat of the day, Paul's working, he's wiping his face. He's soaked in sweat. That's what the handkerchiefs and aprons were. They were sweat rags. And, and he's using this to, to wipe his face or whatever, and somehow... We don't know how somebody gets a hold of this, and I wouldn't want to touch the sweat rag, but they did, you know. And there's something that God does, some miracle that he does, that even when this sweat rag would touch somebody, they would be healed or it would drive demons out. Now, was that the power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Was that the power of God's kingdom? You bet it was. Does that happen all the time? Is, does God only work through sweat rags? No, He's not limited to the sweat rag, neither is he confined by it. God, God can heal and do whatever he wants. He's God. And for whatever reason in this situation, that's what he did. Okay? What we see in this passage, though, is, is a confrontation between two kingdoms. We see the picture now turn from uh, the experience of the Holy Spirit and the reasoning and, and loving Jesus with your mind to a very uh, spiritual battle that is at play. That's, and that's the third leg of the stool. 
Okay, if you want to have a robust faith, it's experiential in the Holy Spirit. It is a reasonable, loving Jesus with your mind, and it's also spiritual. That's the third one. Following Jesus is spiritual. If we don't understand this leg of the stool, we don't understand this leg of our faith, we ha- we're going to have a weak faith again. It's not robust. It's going to be easily defeated because there are supernatural spiritual forces at work that are much, much greater and more powerful than we are as human beings. And, and as we see this, this passage begins in verse 11, there's these extraordinary miracles that are happening, handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin were, were healing diseases and, and driving evil spirits out. Look what happens next in verse 13. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirit, uh, evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now these were seven sons of Sceva, the Jewish high priest named Sceva, during, who were doing this. Verse 15, but the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? That's not a great moment if you're one of these guys, right? One of these seven sons of Sceva. That's kind of like, uh-oh, you know? Jesus I know. Clearly we see that through scripture. We could see that the demons, would, they knew who Jesus was. They're like, don't cast us into the abyss. Don't ca-. They knew who Jesus was, and they're like, and Paul we're familiar with, but who are you? <laughs> these guys were trying to exercise authority that they did not have. What happens next? The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Okay. There's a, there's a collision between two kingdoms. There's a spiritual battle that's happening here. This, this demon overpowers, one demon and one man overpowers seven guys, strips them of their clothes, beats them. They run out naked and, and wounded right? It's a little bit ironic that these guys, these Jewish priests, they were the ones back earlier that were like, you know you're debating us in the synagogue, but we're, we're stubborn. We don't want to believe the message of who you're saying Jesus is. We resist the message of the gospel of Jesus about how he's the Messiah, but we see the power you have, and we certainly want that spiritual power. Here's the thing, you don't get the spiritual power without the gospel and believing the gospel. These signs follow those whom believe. The signs are are the, the power of God on display and it affirms the message. You see, Paul's preaching and persuading and convincing that Jesus is the Christ and God's like, and I'm gonna also go further, not just in, in the area of reason, but I'm gonna go further to show you that spiritually the kingdom of God prevails. There's no demon in hell. There's no devil that can stand against the power of God. He wins in every single arena. That's why he says in verse 20 that the word of the Lord increased and prevailed mightily. So these Jewish exorcists, they want the power in the name of Jesus, but they have no relationship with him whatsoever. Paul was sent by Jesus, had a loving relationship with with Jesus, and therefore carried his message and his power. We'll talk about that a little more here in a minute about how that, how that kind of plays in our lives. But like, let's, let's move a little further. Uh, verse 17, so, and, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, 
and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That's verse 17, the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That means uh, to be highly praised. Extolled means to be worshiped. It's about the, it was about the name of Jesus going out. There is still no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. There's no other name that commands the power and the, the authority of all of heaven's armies but the name of Jesus. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. We're saved through the name of Jesus. These guys are trying to do it with, without any sort of relationship at all with him. So there's a spiritual battle that's going on. This confrontation, this collision between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, this collision topples Satan's kingdom. Truth prevails over lies. Light dispels darkness. The kingdom of Jesus always overpowers the kingdom of Satan and darkness. This same spiritual battle that we're seeing on full display here in this passage is still very much going on today, and it works itself out in many, many different ways. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 12, Paul would write this. In Ephesians 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against all authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He's saying here clearly, like, listen, the battle is not physical. The battle is spiritual. Now, you may have caught this, but I'm going to point this out. That was Ephesians 6, 12, right? Uh, Which church is Paul writing to here? The Ephesian church, it's Ephesians, right? Where is this this passage about Paul taking place? It's in Ephesus, right? So Paul, years later, is writing back to the Ephesian church and he's saying, hey, remember, the battle you're in, it's not physical, it's spiritual. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but the battle that you're in is, is very, very spiritual in nature. That's why understanding that following Jesus is spiritual is part of that robust faith that we have to grow in. It's that third leg. If we don't have that, the, the thing topples. We need the experience of the power of the Spirit. We need to know that following Jesus is reasonable, and we need to understand and discern that it is a spiritual battle in nature. There's bigger forces at work. When you put those three things together. You put the experience, the experiential nature of God together along with reason and sound logic and proof and evidence and no stone unturned and it all points to Jesus. And then you put that together with the supernatural and the, and the spiritual kingdom of Jesus overpowering the kingdom of darkness. It leads to a changed life. It produces a very robust faith. And that's kind of where this passage begins to land. As you see here, look at verse 18. Also many of those who were now believers came, this is important, confessing and divulging. Two different things. Confessing is the admission of it. Divulging is the turning from it. Confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Okay, we don't know for sure, but by kind of putting some context together, uh, one piece of silver typically represented one day's wages. One piece of silver was called a denarii. Remember how Jesus used that term in, in past stories? A denarii was a 
day's wage, one piece of silver for one day's work. 50,000 pieces of silver would represent 50,000 days of work. If one person was to work uh, for 50,000 days in a row, that would be 137 years in a row without ever having a day off. That would be about how much money we're talking about here, the worth of these books that were burned. 137 years of work without a day off. If you were to put that into modern terms, I think in without ever having a day off, and it'd probably be in modern day, be pretty easy to make about $50,000 a year, uh, even doing, you know, not the best paying work. So if you're working and you're for uh, 137 years straight at $50,000 a year, that totals up to be $6.85 million. <laughs> That's one expensive bonfire right there, right? What does that say to us, though? Well, first of all, it says that what happened was dramatic. It says that uh, this was a massive disruption to the Ephesian culture. Paul comes in preaching Jesus, debating with them the demonstration of God's power in his kingdom, overpowering the kingdom of darkness and all this witchcraft and this magic arts, the, the power of God being far superior, so much so that these people are like, I'm turning away from that and I'm, I'm following Jesus. This was a major disruption to their culture, and it was a, a major and public statement that they made to say, I'm going to take all of my witchcraft and all of my magic art books, I'm going to throw them in the fire. That was costly. And that, that is challenging to us as believers. Maybe for you, you're like, I remember that time in my life when I knew that I had, to, I had some things I had to burn. Like there was some stuff in my closet, you know, spiritually, figuratively, or, or, you know, physically, that I had to burn. I had to, like, get rid of that. And, there, and there's a, a sharp move of repentance away from that into following Jesus. And there, you might be here today going, I know there's some things that I need to burn. Like, I need to torch it and light it up. It could be a relationship. It could be, it could be a certain way of thinking. It could, it could be any number of things. And you need to have your own little personal bonfire with Jesus and be like, no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no matter what the cost. Here's what we see kind of in the close of this, this passage, though, is that, that as, as we follow Jesus, it's transformational. It's experiential, it's reasonable, it's spiritual, and it's also transformational. I would challenge you today when we think about like a moment like this where they confess and divulge and they have this giant bonfire and there's like a massive turning away, that, that's similar to a stand that one would take when they say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be baptized. Like I am burying my old life. I'm identifying completely in Jesus. Everything that's behind me, I'm leaving in the tank. When someone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And for some that today might be like, I need to make that stand and be baptized. If that's you, we have baptism coming again soon. Get over on mychristchurch.info. That's kind of our main hub, everything there, mychristchurch.info. Click on the baptism button and sign up as, as a decision that it's like, I'm, I'm kind of burning my old life. I'm going forward with Jesus. I'm burying it. I would challenge and encourage you to do that. So following Jesus, if we want to have a robust faith, a faith that holds up, that's durable, that doesn't fail, that can withstand, it's experiential. It's reasonable. 
It's spiritual. And it leads to incredible supernatural transformation. There's no explaining it away. In these next few moments, we will continue to worship and just reflect upon the power of God, his miracle working power. I would challenge you to pause, to ponder, to really think, and to really take the posture of, of like, Holy Spirit, I want all of what you would have for me, and, and I want to be filled with power to be a witness, and I want you to live within me, to empower me, to convict me, to guide me. Like, I want to really know you. I don't want to just have a cerebral faith. And I, I want to have an experiential faith, and, and I want to understand how to war spiritually, and I also want to, to know why I believe what I believe, and as we grow in all of those areas, we, we develop a very robust faith. It holds up. It stands up. Let's pray as we continue to worship this morning. Father, Think about this, this passage as we're really, really challenged. All the things, and there's so, so much depth that we could mine down into and talk about for a long, long time. And, and I pray that we would. I pray that we would continue that conversation. For none of us have arrived. None of us have a full grasp and understanding of your kingdom and your power and how that plays out. Lord, we just come humble before you, Holy Spirit, and say, would you fill us? Would you empower us? Would you uh, make us into the believers that you would, would desire us to be in, in Christ's church, would, would there be unmistakable, miraculous things that happen as we stay faithful to just preach the gospel of Jesus to a world that needs it? God, would, would you move in amazing ways that no one can refute? No one can refute. And we worship you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and worship.